You can start turning in your Bibles to the reference that's up on the screen. We're in Acts chapter 8 today, Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Um, If you didn't do this yet, I want you to take out the Connect card, which is wherever you sat down today, there was a Connect card there, I'm confident of it. Um, Before you leave today, um, please fill that out and leave it in the offering box before you go. And the reason for that is not just because um, I'm interested in having some kind of record of you being here today. The reason for that is because this week, uh, we would love the opportunity to pray for you according to the needs that are actually in your life. And so if you don't fill out that card, then we can just kind of guess about what's going on. Um, But it'd be a lot better, I think, if we actually knew and we could pray specifically for that need. And so this week, um, today, before you leave, please drop off a Connect card in that box uh, before you go. Um, Today, we are continuing our series through the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, um, continuing the adventures of Philip as he goes through the towns of Samaria. Um, We have John Pullins, Jonathan Pullins, reading our text for us Today And so I'm going to invite you actually to stand with us out of reverence for God's word. We're going to stand and read this passage together. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, there, that this is a desert place. And he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading, the, reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like sheep, he used like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For life For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does this prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and begun, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Let's pray together. Father, you are good and righteous. And Lord, we uh, come before you today having remembered the forgiveness we're given in Christ. But now as we open your word, Father God, we ask that the Holy Spirit 
would be given that we would understand this word and be our teacher, Holy Spirit, and help us uh, to receive this with faith and obedience and with joy as we open your word, your ever-abiding, ever-true, powerful word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. As we uh, get into this passage today, I'm really excited to dig into it, and there's a lot here, so we'll move pretty quickly. I will warn you about that um, ahead of time, but the reason that I'm excited about this is sort of um, a, a couple things. The, the first thing is last week we talked about Simon the Magician and how Simon the Magician sort of ends up showing this kind of um, false faith, right, where he wanted the things of God for his own purposes, and he, he kind of pretended to be a believer for a short time, and then the truth sort of came out. But in this passage, in, in contrast to Simon the Magician, we have in this passage the Ethiopian eunuch who um, displays true faith. So we see this contrast to what we saw last week. But even more, that shows us some important things about what true faith looks like. It shows us some important things about what biblical witness looks like, what it looks like to actually tell others about Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today as we go through this. There's kind of three main sections of this text. There's the first part, which is the leading of the Spirit of God in the first few verses. So there's the leading of the Spirit, there's the teaching of the Word, and then there's believing with true faith. There's leading of the Spirit, um, teaching of the Word, believing with true faith. If you like headings and you like taking notes in that way, you can use those um, today. The first thing I want us to think about as we go into verse 26 is that Philip receives this command to go to this um, new area in the midst of a really successful time in Samaria. Right? Philip travels because of persecution in Jerusalem. He travels down to Samaria, and when he gets there, he starts preaching the gospel, and they begin to listen to him and to believe. It, it's so powerful, in fact, that even this kind of sorcerer cult leader in the area named Simon the Magician is overcome by the truth of the gospel. And so there's lots of people in these cities of Samaria that Philip is reaching, and he's talking to, and he's teaching about Christ. And in the middle of that... An angel of the Lord, messenger from God, sent by the Spirit of God, says, I want you to leave here, and I want you to go, not to Gaza, but to the desert place between here and Gaza. He doesn't tell him, I want to notice that about the text, he doesn't tell him to go to the city of Gaza, which at this point wasn't much of a bustling city, city anyway in history, but he actually tells him to just take the road, which the text tells us is a desert place. And it makes almost no sense that God would send Philip out there to find, Philip doesn't even know this yet, but he's going to be out there for one guy. He's being sent from a city where people are believing him, hundreds and hundreds of people. He's being sent from there to the middle of nowhere to preach the gospel to one guy. We don't know much about this man, this uh, man from Ethiopia. At this time, Ethiopia is not the country that we think about today. Ethiopia is essentially everything in Africa that's south of Egypt. So it is a big empire. And this man, who was a eunuch, would have served in the king's court, but he'd risen up to the place where he was in charge of the treasury of, of um, the queen Candace. Candace, by the way, um, is just a title like the name Pharaoh or um, uh, Caesar. That's what they would call the queen in Ethiopia was Candace. But he is an incredibly important man, even though Philip doesn't know that. 
right? Maybe he could sort of guess that because this guy is probably traveling with a bit of an entourage. People that important in those days didn't travel by themselves any more than they do now. The exact um, history of this man, right, he could have been somebody who was, um, he was non-Israelite by birth, but he maybe joined himself to the Israelite nation. Um, we see that through the fact that he traveled all the way to Jerusalem to worship there. So he has some kind of faith in the God of Israel before this moment, yet he knows that something more is coming. The exact history of him doesn't matter. What does matter for us is we need to see that in this text, God is beginning to push the boundaries of the kingdom. He's, going, he's beginning to push the boundaries of the church, no longer in Jerusalem, no longer in Israel, no longer in Samaria, but to the ends of the world. He's pushing it out so that people, not just Israelite by birth or by ethnicity, are now being brought in, right? You, Ethiopia is different than Israel, and that's what we need to see here is the, the gospel begins to go outside of Israel. Now, Philip receives this desert commission, and he goes ahead and he obeys it, which I find remarkable because, again, if you and I were in that place, it probably would be hard to convince us to leave a successful, bustling, happening ministry and go to the desert. And, and who knows? God doesn't even tell him there's going to be someone there. He says, just go there. But God's mission doesn't often work based on man's strategy. God's mission, God's movements in the church by his spirit do not work based on the strategy that men and women put together in our own wisdom, or at least it's not supposed to. And we need to never forget that. And hopefully that's even our attitude, even as we came here as a church plant, right? We didn't come to Canal Winchester because the marketing numbers looked really good. We didn't come here because it was like, good, we've got a sure thing. There's going to be, you know, lots, like it's just going to blow up right away. It's going to be easy if we do X, Y, and Z. This church plan is just going to explode. We didn't come here because of mathematical formulas or business sense. Honestly, we came here because we were seeking what to do as a church, and God seemed to be opening a door here. He seemed to be allowing us to move in this way in faith, and so we stepped into it not based on our own strategy, our own ideas of what would be most strategic for the kingdom, but simple obedience. And that's how our attitude must always be. Because the most important thing for us to remember about the mission of God, about the kingdom of God going forth, is that it is not led by us. It's led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, as you look through this text, you should see over and over again how God himself has orchestrated every single part of it. He sends Philip out to the middle of nowhere. He has this eunuch coming and reading this text, the perfect text to be reading at this time. He has opened this guy's heart to ask Philip to explain it to him, and then, lo and behold, they pass by water so he can be baptized. Everything, every piece of the chessboard is moved perfectly because the Spirit is the one who's leading it. Now, as you and I read this passage, it could be easy for us to think about how easy it would be for Philip to have received such clear commands about what to do. Right? I mean, none of us, I'm, I'm guessing, none of us have received some kind of message from God that said, hey, tomorrow at 1233, you're going to meet this person named Greg at this place, and you need to say this to them. And we could sit around and we could sort of lament, like, oh God, why don't you give me these divinely ordained opportunities the way that you gave it to Philip? But what I want us to understand today, we have to reckon this with ourselves. 
the reason that you and I often fail to evangelize, the reason that you and I often fail to speak about Christ is not actually because of a lack of clarity. The reason that you and I often shrink back in those moments is not because it's unclear what we should do. Most of the time, it's because it's uncomfortable what we should do. We've been given all that we need in Scripture, clear commands of God. We've been given the Spirit of God in us to empower us. We've also been given access to God the Father to pray to Him. And His Word says that when we pray and ask for wisdom, He's generous. He gives it to all without finding fault. So we actually do have everything that we need. Right? We're told plainly, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And the reason that we don't is because we're often just a little uncomfortable. Yesterday, we were, we were apple picking yesterday, and my, my two-year-old was, he loved everything about it, um, and as he picked two apples, he was holding them in his hands <clears throat> the rest of the day, and I would take him directly to a tree that had a low-hanging fruit, right, and I would say, hey, Haddon, pick this one right here, right, this is a good apple, and he would sit there with both of his apples in his hands, and he'd just be like, dad, pick it, every time. And I'd be like, I can just take one of these out of your hands for just a moment and you can put it down so you can pick the new fruit. He didn't want to drop like what he was holding just to pick something new. And often, I know that's a a kind of a silly example, but often I think that the reason that we shrink back from moments like that is not because it's clear what we should do. It's because we don't want to put our stuff down and deal with it. But the first thing I want us to see is that even though Philip had all this clarity given to him, he still had to actually obey it. He still had to go to this place. He still had to run to catch up with the chariot. He still had to open his mouth and speak when asked. The Spirit didn't do any of those things for him. And that's the first important thing about biblical witness is that it requires a submissive servant. It requires a servant of God who's willing to obey what God says, even if the command doesn't make much sense. Even and when it doesn't make much sense. That obedience from Philip leads him into an opportunity to teach the word to this Ethiopian in verse, starting in verse 30. Read this with me. Philip runs to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, because out loud, in that, in that day they often read out loud. He hears him reading Isaiah the prophet and he asks, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him And now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation, his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth. This portion of Isaiah 53 we'll come back to later on. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. This man is reading the absolutely perfect scripture. You couldn't cherry pick a better Old Testament passage for somebody to be reading if you were about to go and tell them about Christ. In that Isaiah 53 passage, as it talks about the suffering of the Messiah that was to come, not just, um, not just because God was going to send a Messiah, but he was going to send one who would suffer on behalf of his people so that they would be forgiven. He comes to this perfect portion and he asks Philip what it means. 
And this leads us to something really important about making disciples, about telling people about Christ, is that it inevitably, it inevitably is centered on the Word of God. Telling, evangelism is nothing more than getting the Word of God to people and explaining it to them. Getting the Word of God to people and explaining it to them. Because this guy has the Word of God in his hands, but he needs it explained. And so because of that, witnessing to people is inevitably centered on the Word. We know this verse from Romans chapter 10, or at least I think that we know it. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of the Lord, Word of God. So often, I think that we as Christians don't believe that verse. I think that we think that there's a lot of ways that we can like get faith to people or get people to have faith, not by getting them the word, but by relying on other things. Almost as if they can like sort of backdoor into faith, and then once they're there, we'll talk about the word with them. Once they have uh, um, agreed to follow it, that's when the word should come up. But inescapably, faith comes by hearing hearing by the Word of God. There is no other passage in all of Scripture that explains it any differently than that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so we need to lean into that as a church. We need to lean into that as people. We need to understand that getting people simply to church is not the goal of evangelism. Getting people just to be in the room during a worship gathering is not the goal. And so we do as a church, I want to encourage you, yes, you should sort of um, evangelize, if we want to call it that, evangelize about Maranatha, tell people about Maranatha, tell people about the church plant, invite them to come. We do want to do that, but not for the sake of Maranatha, not because we just want more people here on a Sunday, not because we want to develop some kind of reputation in town for being some kind of exciting, engaging, and amazing church. No, the reason that we should do that is because we do know with confidence that when people come here, they will in fact hear the gospel. They will in fact hear the word, and the word is what brings faith. However, just because you get someone, you invite someone and they show up, it doesn't mean that your job is done. Right, just because someone may come, now the onus probably becomes on you to go and personally explain that to someone. Right, when your friend, when your neighbor, your relative comes and they hear, they hear the word of God, they hear the gospel, and they have questions, then it becomes on each of us to answer those questions and to tell them about it. It needs to be explained to them, even as it is to this man. Right, he's, hearing, he's reading the clearest portion in the Old Testament about the Messiah, and he still needs to ask, what does this mean? So don't shy away from that. Don't be nervous about it. One of the reasons that we, as a church, we, we, pri- we're not, um, we focus on, rather we prioritize um, biblical depth, that we call it, one of the reasons that we do that is because times in your life, there will be opportunities to tell people about the gospel, to teach people about the word of God, and they're going to ask you, they're going to look at you right in the eye, and they're going to say, but what does that mean? And when that happens to you, I really hope that you know how to answer them. I really hope you're prepared to answer them. That's why that we worship the way that we do. It's why we sing the songs the way that we do. It's why that we do readings. It's why that we pray the way that we do. It's why our community groups are set up the way that they're set up. It's so that we would be deep in the Word of God so that we would be prepared to tell others about it. Nothing that we do or learn about on Sundays is supposed to stay here. None of the knowledge that you receive about the grace of Jesus Christ, none of the experience of Christ's grace that he gives to you is supposed to stay with you. It's supposed to move through you. 
It's supposed to go out from you by the Spirit of God. So often we just, we just forget about that. We just kind of want to learn more for ourselves. Everything that we learn, everything that God does and He shows us and He teaches us is meant to go through us. So that when someone asks, what does this mean? Or why does God say that? Why did God do that? You would have an answer. Now look at verse 36. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he pa- as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now in this section, if you have um, a, a translation like the King James Version or the New King James Version, as we read through that, you might have alarm bells go off in your mind because you might notice, and if you look closely at your Bible today, you'll notice that it goes verse 36, and then it goes verse 38. And you might think, what on earth happened? How could they leave a typo in the Bible? Um, the reason for that is because there's, a, there's one verse, verse 37, that's missing if we want to call it that, but I'll explain that in a, in a second. That verse reads that the Philip, uh, he asks, what prevents me from being baptized? Philip says, well, if you believe in the Lord Jesus with all your heart, then you may be baptized. And then the Ethiopian eunuch says, yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And then it joins right back up with verse 38. And all of those things are true. And honestly, those things probably happened almost exactly like that. But as we look at the earliest um, manuscripts of the New Testament, right? This is, whenever the Bible was first written, it did not look like this. When the Bible was first written, it was on scrolls and parchment and things like that. And it was copied over and over again, preserved by the Spirit of God through the ages. When it was first written down by Luke, the earliest copies don't have that verse in there. And so that's why it's not included in um, the Bible that you have in front of you most likely. It was actually probably a textual kind of comment that was on those manuscripts that eventually at some point began to be copied into that portion. Because actually what happened there in the early church, one of the things that they would say often when somebody wanted to be baptized was, do you believe in the Lord Jesus with all of your heart? And they would say, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. So it's actually like a liturgical piece of the early church that sort of got grafted in to this text. Now I bring all this up because I don't want you as your pastor, I don't want you to be freaked out if you begin to notice that one day or if somebody brings up to you, hey, your Bible's missing verses. Your Bible's not missing verses. Even that little textual variance that exists there with verse 37, I want you to notice that it changes absolutely nothing vital about this story. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't, there's not some weird piece of doctrine where we're just in verse 37, something really out of the blue shows up and then it never gets talked about again. Right? That fits perfectly in line with the story that we have here. Um, see, we could go down that rabbit trail for a long time about how textual kind of transmission works and all that, but we'll pause on that for a moment. I want you to turn your attention to the faith that this um, Ethiopian man has. I talk about three things that are true of saving faith. Three things that are absolutely true of saving faith. There's more, but these three come out of this passage. The first thing is that saving faith shows itself in a hunger for truth. 
Saving faith, true faith, true um, heart change in following Christ shows itself in a desire for truth. This Ethiopian man, right, not only has he um, sought the God of Israel outside of the boundaries of his homeland, not only that, but he travels all the way there to worship him, and on his way to and from, he's reading the scrolls to learn more. And not only that, he's humble enough, because of the hunger he has for the word, it makes him humble enough to look at Philip, a man he doesn't know, and say, would you please teach me? There's a hunger for truth in righteousness and in knowledge of God that comes with true saving faith. The second thing is obedience. There is a grace-fueled, a grace-motivated obedience that comes through a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We see this as this, this Ethiopian man immediately wants to be baptized. In the course of Philip explaining the good news to him, Philip no doubt um, at some point touched on the fact that the go- what the gospel message was, that Christ had come, the Messiah was here, he had lived a perfect life, he had died a sufficient death so that anyone who trusts in him, in this resurrected king, would not perish but have eternal life. He was probably, he told him all that and he also would have said, one of the ways we respond to this is baptism, which is why this Ethiopian man asks about baptism. I don't think he came up with that on his own, right? That probably was in the conversation before that. And so right away, this man wants to obey the call of Christ, right? Now, and baptism is in many ways the first obedient step that we take, or we're supposed to take as we follow Christ. And honestly, for some of us who have been walking with Christ for a while, I want us to feel, honestly, maybe a little bit of challenge here. If we're a Christian, that has been following Christ and yet we don't want to be baptized or we haven't gotten around to it. It's not an optional part of the Christian life, right? It doesn't save us. I'm not saying it saves us, but it is a command that Jesus gives us and none of Jesus' commands are optional. That's why they're commands from God. But he has a desire because of the grace that he has understood and received in Christ, he wants to obey it. And that leads to the third thing here. As they go on, he leaves rejoicing. He leaves different. He leaves rejoicing. If you go back um, to Acts chapter 8, um, you go all the way back to verse, I believe it's verse 9. It says that when Philip, or verse 8 rather, it says that after Philip had preached the gospel in Samaria, it said there was much joy in that city. One of the fruits of the gospel, one of the fruits of salvation given to us is supposed to be joy. It is supposed to be joy because, listen, when you are a sinner like the rest of us who has received the immeasurable grace of Jesus Christ, setting you free from all of your sin, making you no longer your own but purchased with a price, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, when you have experienced that, when you've been brought from death to life, when you're a new creation in Him, there should be joy in your life coming from that truth. Your disposition should change. Your, your joyful reaction to life should be secured because you are now Christ. There is nothing that can take you out of his hand. There's nothing that can separate you from his love. There's nothing in all of creation that could ever even attempt to do it. That should bring joy to you today. And if we don't have it, we've probably just forgotten those things. As we think about those three things, though, those three characteristics of faith, I want to ask ourselves, are those showing up in my life? 
Do I have a hunger for the word? Do I have a desire to obey, motivated by grace? And lastly, is there joy? Is there spiritual joy in my life? If they're not there, even if they're there a little bit, I want you this week to pray for those things. Say, God, give me a hunger for your word. Give me a desire to obey. Give me a greater joy in Jesus this week. Now, in the aftermath of all these things, God provides yet another miracle as he literally like teleports Philip away from the Ethiopian man, just transports him away to move him to another city to do more ministry. And I think that one of the reasons he did that was even to confirm for this Ethiopian man how supernatural that moment was, so that that man would have assurance in his heart of, I did just know God. That man actually went on, church tradition and history tells us he was likely the first man to bring Christianity to Ethiopia. That's why God sent Philip there, was so that he could send the gospel to where that man was from. Because God wanted to grab, from the very beginning, he wanted to bring in people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And so from the very beginning, he finds this Ethiopian man traveling from Jerusalem. He sends Philip there so that that man can go back and tell more. But listen, that's one more miraculous thing in this story. And with every single miraculous thing that happens, I think you and I are tempted to receive this story very passively. At least I am. I'll just be honest with you about that. It's easy for me to read this story and again, just kind of feel sorry for myself. Because after all, God doesn't give me moments like this. I can count on zero hands the number of times this has happened to me. And I understand the temptation to sit here and kind of be envious of Philip and envious about how easy it was, how easy it seemed to be for him to go and witness in this moment. But I want to encourage you today that this story is here in the Bible not to discourage you, but to encourage you. This story is here from God to encourage you not to look at that and think about how hard it is for us because we don't have this stuff happening just every day as we go about our lives. Listen, the God who did everything in this story, he's telling you something very important today, church. He is peeling back the curtain and he's showing you that this world that you are in runs on his clock. It runs on his schedule. He's showing you in this story that every piece on the chessboard is laid out by him. And he did not stop doing that with the turn of the first century. God didn't give up and just kind of take his hands off the world after the early church. He's not sitting there today looking at your life and just looking at all the random things that are happening in it because they're not random to him. Every ounce of purpose and intention that exists in all the details of the story, he has purpose and intention and detail in every part of your life. And it is all orchestrated perfectly to give, um, to give you opportunities to tell others about him. And that same Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that's working so, ma- so, so marvelously and perfectly in this story is the same Holy Spirit that is sovereignly working in this world today. It's the same Holy Spirit that resides in you by faith in Jesus Christ. It's the same Holy Spirit that inspired the sufficient word of God so that you would have everything that you need to know about life and godliness, to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And not only that, but God Almighty has made you his child. Listen, God looked at you and me, sinners, 
not deserving of his love, and he said, I'm going to love them. I'm going to send my son to set them free. I'm going to purchase them with the blood of Jesus Christ, the king of heaven himself, so that they would be free, so that you would no longer be dead in sin, but alive in Christ, so that you would be pardoned from the penalty of sin and the slavery to sin, so that he could lay the punishment on Jesus that was deserved for you and me. He, he purchases, us, purchases us like that, and then he sends us out to go and share that news. So you and I need to stop waiting on audible voices from heaven. Do not sit around. I know how easy it is. Don't just sit around and say, well, when it's like really clear that I should speak, I'll say something. When there's a really good opportunity to tell my friend, my family member about Christ, that's when I'll kind of step out on the waters and give it a shot. When God opens the heavens up and shouts with a loud trumpet, that's when I'll do it. But if God did that, he wouldn't need you to talk anymore. So we need to stop waiting for these audible, perfect situations from heaven. We need to assume that the people in our lives are there on purpose. Assume that God wants you to tell people about Christ. Assume that he has gone with you there. Assume that his spirit is in you to empower you. And we need to also assume, listen, we need to we need to be certain of the fact that as we step out into obedience of God's command, as we step out into reliance on God's promises, be certain of the fact that he is not going to abandon you. He's not waiting to trick you into stepping into some realm of promise or to stepping into some situation of where you're trying to witness somebody at Christ. He's not trying to like lure you into that so he can pull back and leave you on your own. Instead, he, we need to trust that he will be perfectly faithful to his promises. Perfectly faithful to his promises. As he said in his greatest command, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus said, all of it is mine. All of it is under my control. All of it is under my authority. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, he doesn't leave it there, I am with you always to the end of the age. As you go out, as you walk in obedience, as you rely on his promises, he is with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father God, you are a good and righteous God. You are great and greatly to be praised. Your steadfast love never ceases and your mercies never come to an end. Father God, make us uh, faithful messengers of this grace and lord if we do not have faith give us faith and lord increase the faith that we have we join in with the testimony of the man in the scriptures who said i believe but help my unbelief lord increase our belief our faith today we ask all this in the name of christ our savior amen